I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. Uh, hello, humans. I am your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business. Uh, I talk with sales and HR experts, other small business owners, and anyone else that can provide you with information to clear your way to success. Uh, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, it's the first episode of, um, I don't have a name for it yet, but we're just going to go with uh, like an expert discussion. And today's focus is HR. Uh, hiring, interviewing, onboarding, management, culture, all those things. I don't know how much we're actually going to get to, but um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we can actually cover. So my guest today is Stephanie Masters, owners, uh, owner of Stephanie Masters Consulting and, as a very recently, nonprofit sidekick. Um, Stephanie graduated from Towson University with a bachelor's in art education, which kind of surprised me. That's something that I wanted to dive into a little bit, but we'll get to that on the next one. Uh, she spent five years as an activities director at a long-term care facility before transitioning to a staffing management position at a staffing agency. Uh, this is where it appears the HR focus kind of begins. Um, she advanced in that company up to a branch manager, uh, eventually moved to a training lead um, at a relatively large bank and spent the next nearly 15 years working in training and development for various banking institutions, universities, uh, technology and brand consulting firms. Uh, in 2017, Steph finally decided to branch out on her own, uh, starting Stephanie Masters Consulting. She assists businesses with recruiting, hiring, onboarding, career growth, leadership development, um, and probably more than that. But uh, in this year, July, um, so super recently, Stephanie and her business partner opened Nonprofit Sidekick, which focuses on supporting nonprofits. Uh, she's certified in Franklin Covey, Time Management, Gallup Strengths, Luminger Voices 360, Predictive Index Talent Optimization, and a ton of uh, a ton of other ones. Yeah, you can click on her LinkedIn down below and, and see the rest. Um, so a little backstory before we get going. So I kept, I kept hearing, uh, I kept hearing your name come up, um, but never actually ran into you until I took interest in, uh, the job at the CDC. So prior to that, my view of anything HR related was not the most positive for sure. Um, That's I don't know. Typical. Yeah. The term human resources, it didn't feel like that that category really like lived up to the name felt like everything was just payroll and, and things like that. But, um, after kind of working or like interacting with you, it kind of changed my view. And at least from the employee perspective, it like, I focus on actually like the human resources feels like such a differentiator. Like it feels like that's an area where, um, like from the employee side, it actually feels like the, whatever the organization is actually cares about your growth and about your future. So, um, so that's, I just thought it would be, uh, obviously I'd like to hear more about it. So, and I'd like to talk through some of that. So, uh, Steph, thanks for being a guest on clearing the way. We'll see what all we can cover today, but, um, kind of a long intro, but did I miss anything there? No, Any? you didn't. And I think, you know, thank you so much for, um, the opportunity to sit down and talk to you about human resources. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those like important things that also, I don't, it, it feels like the easiest thing to overlook when you're working as a small business owner. Like, yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't, it feels like the last of the priorities. Like, you know, you got to get your finances right. You know, you got to get 
um, your like the process, you know, you got to get a lot of things right, but hiring is like, I don't know. It feels like easy, you know? Oh, this is easy. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone just thinks, oh, all I need to do is post a position and, and hire a person and everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously it's not that easy. So let's start. My idea for today is to kind of work through the hiring process, um, as much as we can. Obviously we may have to cut, cut some of it short, but, um, from deciding to, Hey, I need to, I need to bring somebody on and what needs to happen and, you know, all the way up to making the hire. So through the interview process, uh, I'm sure I'll miss some things, but, um, let's, let's kind of work through, through that process. So I'm a business owner. Um, I'm making the decision. I am ready to hire. Um, what are some things and you, are most of your, let's actually, let's take a step back first. Are most of the people that you're working with the smaller businesses or, um, I mean, I know you have worked with those. So like, yeah, who are, who generally are you working with? I work with uh, really small businesses that may have less than 10 employees. And then I can work with organizations that have up to thousands. So okay. I've, I've watched, and especially in our area, the amount of entrepreneurs and people who are developing these great business ideas, those are the ones that um, both for-profit and non-profit that I like to focus on. Okay. It's exciting. It's exciting to see businesses grow. Yeah. Um, okay. So with the um, – okay, so let's just uh, – we'll kind of not role play but kind of. So I'm looking, I'm looking to hire. I think I need more people. What are some – what are some things or some indicators that that a I am ready to hire, um, and that it is a good idea for me to actually start bringing on people? Um, let I'll kind of leave it there for now. Like, what are some of those things I should be looking for to know? Hey, you might want to bring somebody on, or you can bring somebody on to help alleviate some of your stress. Yeah. So I I think that there there has to be a dual approach to look at. Um, first, do you have a sustainable need? And are you at a financial place to be able to bring on someone? Because it's not just the cost of the salary, but you also have to consider insurance. You have to consider the taxes, yeah. uh, all of the different benefits. And then, you know, the overhead in terms of resources, phone, space, all of that. So, yeah, um, yeah there's a lot. When you're as a like when you're looking at those things, is there what are the benefits to, and this may be different from case to case, but what would be the positives of hiring rather than just continuing to use contracted employee or contractors or, um, or some of those types of apps, like freelancers, some of those types of things? What, what do you think the biggest reasons to lean more towards hiring or, or not? Like yeah. what are some of the differences there? So when you hire someone who's a freelance or you hire a consultant, they, they're not a part of the organization. So there could be outside influences that um, they have competing contracts, they have different information um, or different focus, and they don't have as much skin in the game as hiring somebody internally, somebody who is hired to be a part of the organization and to create a brand and have that consistency. 
Okay. Have you, have you seen like, um, are there types of businesses that work better for just contracting that you've seen or, um, versus like, obviously if you have a storefront, like it's going to be a little difficult to just contract people to, to be working in there. But, um, yeah. Have you seen which types of businesses do tend to lean more towards contracting or who it may be more beneficial to, to contract? I think those that have cyclical um, work where there are times that the workload may be significantly higher. So retail is notorious for having seasonal employees. And then within different organizations, those that may have more in the, the summertime because of tourism or uh, kids are out of school uh, or those around the holidays where you need, you need that extra support. So contracting is great to fill hopefully either a seasonal need or cyclical need, okay. but it's probably not a great long-term solution because consultants cost more money eventually yeah. than, than an well, employee. Do they, with all of the things, with all of the extras that are, that like if it's a full-time employee, like is there an easy way to determine, I mean, I'm sure case by case there is, but at what point is that, is it worth, you know, I assume the extra overhead, like you talked about, like that's, there's a pretty big difference there, I would assume, right? There is, but so there's two different types of contractors. So you could have somebody who's a 1099 who uh, uh, is an independent contractor where their rate is probably a little bit lower than using an agency. An agency, you're probably going to pay anywhere from 30 to 50% more per okay. hour or for the contract. Uh, and that so those costs are built in. So over time, what you'll see you're is that... You're just passing that cost on yeah, to the agency. Yeah, they pass it on to you anyway. Yeah. And, and so then I guess there you're looking at if you're hiring freelancers... That can be cheaper long-term, but you've got to go through the process to vet all of those. So you're adding, you're adding time there. Um, and the management, like you mentioned, like they don't have, they can bounce all over the place. Um, yeah. And are you, is your organization always the priority? Yeah, probably, unless you're paying the most or you have the best environment, like it, you're probably not going to be because they're freelancers. Yes. Um, which is fine. Like right. that's, that's the benefit of being a freelancer and using freelancers. But if you're not the most important, then, um, okay. So, okay. So we've got, um, we've made the decision. We're going to, an employee is now, they're the best. We need, we need this. Um, we've got, we've determined, uh, well, actually, how are, how do you recommend determining if you're at the, at the point too high? Like how can, is there an easy way to look at, I've got this much work coming in in the future and I need, I need employees. Does that make sense? Like at, at what point, um, how overwhelmed do I need to be before <laughs> it's like, Hey, maybe I can bring somebody on and this is sustainable. Pre pretty overwhelmed. So if you start to see that business is, is suffering, that you're having to say no, not now, um, your attention to detail or maybe the quality of the work that you're trying to accomplish is being negatively impacted. That's when you want to start looking okay. at hiring. And then you have to determine, is this somebody that I need full-time, part-time? 
And then what need are they going to fill? So if you're the primary and you are leading the charge and and looking at, um, you know, what your primary functions are, that's where you have to start to extract out functions and responsibilities for other people to take on. And that's where I think so many small business owners make this assumption, well, I'll just hire someone and I'll just train them on what they need to do from what I do. And then there can be a lot of confusion, there can be a lot of overlap, and there's this lack of distinction of responsibilities of who owns something versus somebody who manages it. Okay, so prior to, so now we're kind of getting to um, prior to hiring, is it generally a good idea to kind of map out um, maybe all of the responsibilities or all of the tasks that need to be or all of the all of the things that need done and then saying, you know, here are the things where I either don't want to do these anymore or I'm falling short on. Like, is that a generally like obviously we're speaking very broadly here, but um, yeah, is that generally like a, a good idea to before I've hired? Like I need to know what I actually need a person for. Yes. So what you would want to do is create a job description and the job description should provide an overview of what they are to the organization and to the the client, the patron, the customer, and then outline the core responsibilities, additional duties. And you always want to add in that there's going to be more to the job than you can list in the job description. Yeah. Because there's, as you grow, you just don't know. Yeah. Well, and there might be some things that like, each employee, you don't know what they're what they're actually capable of mm-hmm. beforehand, um, and then you make those discoveries, and it's like, oh wait, well, how about let's pass this off to you, um, or however that expands. But okay, so um, so when you're for the okay, so we're we're on a job description here. Um, what is a is there is there like a a an avenue that's been a little bit more successful or more recommended with like do a lot of small businesses choose to fill roles that they're not good at or that they're they don't have time for like how are how are most people hiring or how should you kind of look at hiring like does that does that kind of make sense like what what should you be trying to fill first? So what you're talking about is role definition. So in role definition, um, it's probably a combination of everything that you just mentioned. Okay, so, okay. So we should always play to our strengths and recognize that as small business owners, what do we do really well? What are the things that we have to do? And then what are the things that other people could take on and do uh, much much more, uh, much more of a thorough job than than we can. Those, that's the combination of what you want to look at is a what's going to drive the business. What are the things that uh, that this person can help alleviate, and what can they take over? Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Um, that makes sense. So really, I mean, it it's super important to have a really good grasp on all the things that you're doing. (laughs) Like you got to have that. And it's always good to get outside input. And so that doesn't necessarily mean hiring an HR consultant, 
But having conversations with your most trusted network and saying, this is where I am with my business. This is what I'm thinking about. Because often when we're so close to it, it's really hard for us to see some of those needs that are our blind spots. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think that actually that came up recently uh, in another episode, just like you got to either take a step back or have somebody else looking. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it doesn't have, you don't have to hire somebody like just get some good friends, <laughs> like, yeah. like a couple good friends or people who have at least some, some view. Um, and it might not be one person. It might be a group of people. It's like, Hey, what, what are yep. you seeing? What are you seeing? Um, or you hire somebody, but if depending on the part, uh, you know, where you're at in your business, that might not be possible. Um, so, okay. So we've determined here's the things I'm either not good at or maybe I'm not good at these things, but that doesn't really matter because it's not really driving business. We, we've determined what the job is going to be. Um, now we're looking for people. Well, before maybe we not. look for people, we also have to sort of define what what is the skill set that we need. So is it somebody okay. that has to have... Uh, a bachelor's degree, an associate's degree, years of experience. And I think people tend to automatically put down that people have to have a bachelor's degree. Why? So I'm we, glad you that's really not have a thing, to. Because I wouldn't uh, be there. <laughs> I wouldn't be anywhere. And, and I think that people need to evaluate that and, and look at And there are absolutely cases where you should have that as a requirement for, for, sure. for, for different positions. But if you're a small business owner and you're looking at somebody who can potentially grow with the organization and take on different roles, then you want to hire for resiliency, for people who have grit that are willing to uh, come in and learn. How are you, like, how, I guess some of that you can find through the interview, but like, how do you find those things? Like, how do you find that in a candidate? Like, what are some of the things that you can, I don't know, like, how... That seems very difficult to see over a resume or even in like, hey, here's some of the requirements for the position. Like how in the world do you determine if somebody's going to have grit or be able to like, I don't know, be reliable or any of those things through a a questionnaire or a resume or like that seems not super simple. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> So there's there's so many different models out there that can assist with interviewing. And I think you have to go with something that's authentic to you. So one of the oldest ones is behavioral-based interviewing, where you ask situational-based questions that get it past experience. Well, so is there anywhere – sorry to interrupt, but like okay. I feel like before the interview, is there any way to kind of find that out prior to an interview? Like is there any anything you can include in re- – like? The answer may actually just be no, um, which I, my gut says it's probably just no. But is there any way to encourage that or seek that out in the way that you're posting a job or the way that you're looking at the resumes that are coming in? Absolutely. So the answer is yes, you you can. So rather than just posting a job description that says, let's say, customer service representative and then walks through the primary responsibilities, the the job duties, and then the necessary experience, what you can start with is a cultural overview. So you can say, uh, 
I'm a small business, or, or we are a small business within our community. Our customers are our number one priority. Uh, what we look for are individuals who are going to give um, the personal care and attention to our employees, have an attention to detail. So you can walk okay. through and give an idea of the culture, okay. the culture that you're trying to create within your organization. And that's what I think candidates are looking at now is that everyone can look at the laundry list of responsibilities, yeah. but you want to be attracted and you want to reach the heart of the person to have that connection to what the culture is of the organization. Okay. That makes sense. Um, okay. That all makes sense. <laughs> now, so you were, before I interrupted you with the interviewing, um, I don't remember what the... Behavioral-based interviewing. That's it. Okay. So in that, you said you're kind of building these scenarios to see what the reactions are, how they would handle those things. Um, was there anything else with that? Yes. So you can ask uh, these questions. You can also ask people to share the most significant experiences that they've had in their career. You can ask about what's the thing that you're most proud of, why, what did it impact? Uh, and, you know, we, I think people hesitate to ask about some of the challenges that we've had, but every single one of us has gone through failure. Yeah. And rather than making it a taboo and thinking that it's something that you shouldn't talk about in an interview, you should position it in a way where you're trying to understand how they grew from the experience and position it that way. Okay. And, and that's how you start to look at grit and resilience. Okay. And when you're like, when you're developing that line of quest or that, that string of questions, um, is it helpful to use scenarios that are specific to your, like in a hypothetical, or, or actually maybe let's start there. Is it best to come up with hypotheticals or ask about history? Probably both. Okay. So there are some organizations. It feels really easy to bullshit hypotheticals. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> like everybody knows what you want the answer to be. Right. So the, what HR calls that the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Mm -hmm. So that's about more of influencing the the moment rather than being authentic to yourself. So you can you can use two different things. So you can look at past experience of the individual or you can share scenarios that are typical within the business and ask them, you know, here's the situation. I I know people that do uh simulations, role playing in the interview to okay. sort of put people you all, I'm going to preface by you should set the stage and the expectation with candidates if you're going to do that. You don't want to catch them off guard. Yeah, that feels like. But let them know in the interview process, hey, part of our process is we're going to role play some of these situations or I'm going to present to you some of the the common themes of what we see within the business and we want to see how you'll react to it. Okay. okay. But again, be upfront. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be easy fantastic to know beforehand. Right. Don't be, be don't hijack a candidate. <laughs> yeah. It's not a positive experience. No, that I can imagine that wouldn't be the best thing. Um, okay. Um, so when you're, um, hmm. okay. Okay. So we've, we've got these questions, like, when I'm coming up with these questions, should I be looking at, and maybe it's not, this is, is it best to tailor the questions to the candidate or have a generalized set of questions? So 
I'll just leave it at that. Like, is it better? Should I, hey, I'm, I know I'm intervie- interviewing you. I've looked at your resume. Let me dive into your history and question based on that. Or should I just hear the questions and we kind of, you know, everyone's getting the same thing. Well, I'm going to give you the HR response that gives HR a bad name. And that is you should create uh, a consistent process for all candidates, because if you don't, it can come across as that you're being discriminatory or uh, favoritism in the way that you do Uh, it. Okay. But here here's what you can do through uh, behavioral based interviewing is you can have a list of three very similar questions and based on the the candidate you can ask one of those questions okay and what's most relevant to their experience and their background but you're you're consistent in the questions that you're asking okay that makes sense it also from a like judging like comparing candidates it's i mean it's difficult to compare if the question if obviously if there's like just slightly different tailored to their experience that's one thing but if they're like completely different then it's like well what do we like how do we compare two things that like i'm comparing this interview that was i don't know we talked about i don't know whatever but like the experiences were way different so that it just doesn't seem like a good idea just in the comparison sake uh, if you've got multiple candidates well you have to have a rubric to evaluate the candidates objectively so um What's typically used is what's the situation, what were they responsible for, what were the actions that they took, and then what was the result that they got. And then what you do is you take the answers to those questions and you look at the alignment to the role and what do you feel is going to to be the best. So it is a mix of like objective and subjective because you have to pay attention to cultural fit. So somebody could have the great skill. But culturally, they're not great for the organization. If it's just you and you're trying to create the culture, is maybe that doesn't matter. You know what you want, I would imagine. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. You maybe learn that, very quickly when you hire someone whether what, was, you, what your intention is and what your impact is match. Is that something – should I be considering that before I place – am looking for my first hire as well? Yes. Okay. What is the culture of my organization? Because each of each of us as small business owners have such a vested interest and we have such a connection to the emotional side of being a business owner that if we we have to be able to convey that to people who are coming into the organization. Yeah. And do it in a realistic way. Yeah. And, and you can't expect they're not going to have the same buy-in. Like they right. Don't and place, we but. don't want to have them be like little mini-me's or – approach it in the exact way we want people to be authentic but here are some of the non-negotiables that we have with with uh with our clients so it's Mm. this is so for example with uh with clients that i that i work with there's a certain way to engage them the questions that we ask the way that we try to solve the problems um the way the way that we present information the way that we facilitate the way that we engage with them there are certain behavioral standards that I it's a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. Either you provide this level of service. Now you can do it according to your personality, but yeah. these are the steps that have to be followed that are a part of our brand. And is that something that you would include or maybe at least pieces of that within 
the job description so that people are aware of that before you, so you're not wasting a bunch of time on people that are not going to fit? Yes. Okay. So if you are a small business owner, you probably want to have a mission and vision statement about what your your business solves and how it serves client community. And then oftentimes I also encourage organizations to create the values and the values should reflect the culture of the organization. Okay. And that seems, man, here's what's, what at least is tough from, I don't know, if you're looking for those or at positions, I feel like all of those are just, I don't like, I don't know. They just seem like not actually true. You know, like I feel like anytime I read a values or like, here's our mission, they're just like so lofty. And maybe at some point that was the mission and that was your values, but it doesn't appear that that is still the case. But I guess maybe that's just not just, but probably larger organizations. So like maybe be realistic in those for your job descriptions. Like, Yeah. Don't create like a buzzword salad. Yeah. For yeah. Your... And I feel like that's what most of them are like. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. So in the the times that you and I have worked together that we've developed our, our partnership, I would see that within um, your personal brand, integrity would be one of your values. And integrity to you means that you're going to follow through with what you say that you're going to do. If you make a mistake, you're going to own it and you're going to rectify it as quickly as possible and you're going to own it. Yeah. And so integrity as a value, if you see it on a piece of paper and you meet the person and it doesn't, they don't act yeah. in those particular ways, you're right. It's, it's, um, it's something that looks great on a website. But I think especially for small business owners, our brand and our reputation is everything, right? Yeah. And that's how you build your business. So values are a chance for you to reflect on, well, how how am I engaging people in the business? Um, and how what are the values that are most important to me that then define how other people will behave within the organization? Okay. Okay, so that makes sense. And that is like you mentioned, that's good to include so that you can at least, at least people are aware of that while they're applying. They know that those things. And then when you're in the interview or, or whatever step of the process that all of these non-negotiables are introduced. Yes. Um, then, you know, it's like, well, again, they're non-negotiables. So the year they're going to, you're either agreeing to this or you're not, but if you're not, then on to the next, I suppose. Um, okay. Okay, so we've gotten our interview questions. We know how we're going to do this. Um, now we're ready to find candidates, um, which seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. There are so many places that you can go for that. Um, I feel like a lot of small business, at least from people that I work with, a lot of it seems just like actually getting, um, clients is referrals. Yeah. What are the problem or maybe there aren't, I'm imagining there are though. What are some of the problems with, um, or, or things to be aware of when you're looking at referrals and, and how to kind of navigate some of those types of challenges? Cause I imagine that's like, Hey, my good friend, he recommended this person and now I 
I'm not obligated to hire this person, but also I'm, I feel pressured to like, what are, how do you work through those or, or yeah, I'll, I'll stop mumbling. Very carefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it, it's, it's a balance between setting the expectations with those that do make the referrals and always thanking them. Yeah. But say, and, but be really clear about your process and say, this is, this is fantastic. I think small businesses do a great job of hiring people from their network. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes that doesn't work out or the person that's presented may, may be great in theory, but then when you interview them, your gut doesn't yeah. sit right or they don't answer the questions in the way that you want them to answer. And you just recognize that maybe they're not the best fit. I, I think honesty is the best policy. So this is where I would go back and I would immediately inform the candidate, let them know first before you let the referral, and then follow up. Always follow up with the person who referred the candidate. And it's not that you have to fully disclose, but just say, I just want to thank you so much for referring. I met them um, at this time. You know, there's there's some there's other candidates that I want to consider. You know, find the best way to say yeah. You know, and you don't want to throw the person under the bus yeah. by saying, oh, well, they had this this huge deficit in this area. That's yeah. yeah. We yeah. don't want to disclose from the interview, but just say, OK, we're not, we're not going to move forward with them at this time. Yeah, that seems I don't know, just as somebody who like it feels there that I feel like. Cringy? That, yeah, well, <laughs> there's that, but it also feels like there's so much just perceived pressure. To like, hey, you hooked me up, you know, like you got me what you're thinking is a really good candidate, but also you, you're running a business. So you can't just hire everybody that's recommended to you because then you end up with either poor work or, um, you create this culture that is, I don't know, not ideal. Um, yeah, that seems, that's a tough one. Um, okay. So that is one avenue for um, for finding employees or finding candidates. Um, but what other so like there's all of the the marketplaces we'll call them I guess I don't know what I'm sure there's an actual term for those places but like um, like the zip recruiter is and like all of those types of things can can those work for small businesses? And are there, is it something that you should just cast a wide net and just see what, what you find? Or is there a way to be kind of strategic? Cause all of those are going to, those all cost, right? Yes. So is there a, a way to approach the, the search for candidates to kind of, um, maximize the money that you're spending, but also cast a wide enough net that you can get some good candidates? Yes. So if you've never hired before and you don't have the resources to be able to hire someone to help you with the process, I think Indeed does a really good job for its recruiting for beginners Okay. where it actually walks you through the steps to be able to build a job description and then also set the radius of where you would want your candidates to come from. And that is something that I think you have to think about before posting the job is that is this an in-person position? Is it a hybrid position? Or can this position be done virtually? 
And then that sets your radius for how far you'll look for a candidate. And then it also walks you through the process. You can phone screen. You can create custom emails in there to uh, say thank you for applying. We'll be okay. in touch shortly. It can what's called disposition a candidate. So if you pull up the person's resume and they're an absolute miss, they don't have any of the experience, it can send a very nice note to say, we're not going to move forward with your application. But you want to be consistent with all of the candidates. So when people take the time to apply, I think it's a best practice to be able to follow up with them because it it does still leave an impression on your brand. So whether yeah. or not they're it's hired, they could be a customer. Yeah, it's super frustrating yeah. whenever you apply somewhere and never hear back. It's like, hey, just tell me right. now. Just yeah. tell me now. How about that? Like, is that that difficult? I, honestly, just an email that said, hey, we're not interested. Like, that to me. It takes less than 30 seconds to do yeah. that with a candidate. Yeah, like that, even that, that short and like that kind of, I don't know. That wouldn't be the nicest email I ever got. But like, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, but even that's like, all right, at least I like, all right, yeah. I know. I know now that they are not interested in whatever I've got to offer. And that's fine, but at least now I know. Um, okay, so so that's a that's a good resource. Um, Indeed is a good one to use. Are there again, it, so is it is it a good idea to try as many of those as possible or like depending on your funds, like, I imagine you, well, I mean, it depends on the, the amount of money that you've got to spend on this, but, um, but yeah, like, is there, should you be trying to cast a super wide net or just, you know, put all your eggs in one and say like, I'm going to focus on this or does it, does it really matter? Is it kind of case by case? I think it has to be a two prong approach. So the first thing is, is as a small business owner, you should always be leveraging your network and posting on either your business page on Instagram, Facebook, uh, maybe you post it on LinkedIn, and leverage your network. But when it comes to a cost site, I think you should hone your efforts in on which one's best for you. So I'm sure ZipRecruiter and some of the other paid sites have the same features that I just talked about with Indeed. But you have to sort of go with which one really appeals to you and why. And I think you have to keep it, uh, unless you get no candidates, so if you get zero response and you then you have to reevaluate, is my job description, uh, does it need to be tweaked, am I not focusing in on the right things, do I need to look at a different marketplace, you know, what do I need to evaluate? Yeah, just make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Um, All right, so we've... Are there any other, so you mentioned like social media, all of those, uh, are there any, uh, I, I can't think of any other ways, like are there any other, other than like the, you've got the marketplaces, you've got social media and referrals, so that, that kind of covers. Well, you could hire someone to take care of the entire process for you. Yes, that so, is another option. Yeah, so I have several clients right now that have said, Stephanie, I hate recruiting, I hate the entire process. Uh, it's time consuming. It's not what I enjoy and I don't do it well. Yeah. Uh, what I want you to do is I want you to create the job description with my consent. I want you to post it. I want you to manage the candidates. And then what we did is we talked through, had conversations. Well, describe to me your culture so that I can relay that in the phone screen. Yeah. So that way when I present the candidates to the client, 
it's only the best of the best, and I've already screened out people who are not both a skill set and a cultural fit. Now, there is a cost to that. But you also have to look at what's what's the best option. Yeah. If this is going to slow down your business and it's going to directly impact the momentum that you already have going, it might be a great idea yeah. to bring in somebody who can do that focus yeah. for you. Well, and that kind of there's been none of none of these things are coming to mind right now. But I know I've got several of them where it's like there are some things that are just more frustrating for me that I have no interest in that are like, I will pay somebody. I know it's going to cost me, but I don't want to deal with this. And I'll pay way more than like, I'll pay a couple hundred bucks for the, like whatever this little service is, like something that I can probably do in a couple hours. And it's definitely better time or better for me to do them myself Mm -hmm. just financially. But it's like, these things are super frustrating to me. I, just just, like, yeah, I'm going to pay this person. You know, I don't want to cut clips for this. I know, I know it's not worth it, but I'll pay somebody like just cut the clips for me. I'm sick of cutting clips. Um, so that like, that's also a piece of, of that. Like if you've tried and you've hired before and the process sucked, well, there are other options. Of course, like you said, those cost, but you don't have to do everything yourself. Um, I mean, like with anything, but I, that is also something that I feel like is probably difficult as like small business owners. It's like, no, I have to do everything myself. I do, I do everything myself. Yeah. Control, right? Yeah. This is my business. I have to take care of it. Yeah. Well, and like you said, like if, I mean, I'm sure you can maybe do, do you ever make hires for people? So, like, you handle the entire process? Yes. Okay. That is a lot. That's a lot. Um, okay. So, I guess, yeah, you can actually let go of the entire process and just, like, hey, I need a new employee. And however long later, it's like, okay, well, my new employee's here. Um, okay. So, that is an option. Um Okay. How do we get there? We got there because I asked what the other uh, ways to get candidates were. Okay. So we are, um, so we've got candidates now, um, and the interview, we've developed our interviewing questions or how we, what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, how can you, like, maybe this isn't relevant and maybe this is just like, if you're not a good interviewer, then it's going to be tough to get a job. But is there a way to tell if like, I don't know. I imagine if you're dealing with, uh, if you're hiring for a position that isn't super like customer facing, um, you might be interviewing people that tend to be more introverted or just not as open. Is there, are there any techniques to finding somebody who may not be interviewing well or, or tailor the interview to kind of help break people out of that because you may be missing on some, like if I'm not customer facing, if I'm just helping whatever this company is on the back end, it's like, well, they don't necessarily have to be super outgoing or, or great at an interview to be really good at this job. Is there a way to handle those, those types of situations in the interview and how to like tailor those correctly? I think that the behavioral based interview questions really cover that. Okay. 
So if you do have somebody who is more of a, a data analyst or they're somebody that does IT infrastructure, those people are going to be analytical. They're going to be very objective, um, may not, probably not intro, or, uh, extroverted. Mm -hmm. So asking more about their skills and experience. But then also you do have to gauge their communication skills. Yeah. And so where they may not be conversational, they may not be like, let's go to happy hour on Friday or go bowling. We want to make sure that they're still going to be a good fit in terms of communication. So what we can do is we can t customize the questions to look at how are they going to fit in still, again, back to the culture of the mm -hmm. organization. They have to engage in, to some level, but what does that look like? They don't have to be the life of the party, but are they going to communicate well? Are they going to communicate uh, consistently to be able to achieve the goal? How how can you, like, what kind of questions help you come up with that? Like, that seems difficult to determine somebody's communication style in in any form. Like, yeah, that seems difficult to, to accomplish by asking a couple questions, right? Like, <laughs> Well, so it depends on the question that you ask. So if I were going to interview somebody, let's say, for a back-end IT position, I would ask a question such as, tell me about a time that you identified a problem. How did you notify uh, the other individuals on your team, the customer, the rest of the organization? How did you engage others to solve the problem? Okay. Okay. Um, and then you ask That makes the, a lot of sense. What did you do? What did you say? What did you share? What were, you know, what was okay. the outcome of that? Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You can also ask a question it, uh, about what is your preferred communication? What's the best way for you to communicate with those that you work with most closely? When I've worked with uh, IT individuals, some of them will say, Stephanie, my primary way of uh, communicating with my team is through uh, Slack. Don't call me. I won't pick up the phone uh, or text message or some other way. So we can ask those questions and then align it. Does that does that communication preference fit what we need within the organization? If the answer is no, they might have a great skill set, but they're not a good cultural fit. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so with um, okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So other interview. Um, when you're, I'm imagining, I have never had to interview anybody. Um, I've also never hired anybody. So my first time interviewing somebody, how much, like, I I know I've been in interviews where it didn't feel like there was any preparation done. <laughs> yeah. Um, what should, how should I be preparing for I, whether it's my first interview or my first round of hiring or just any interview? Like, I imagine... There's got to be some prep or there should be um, if you're actually, I mean, you're bringing somebody onto the team. Like I would imagine there's more than two minutes of prep to do before this. Like what should I be, how should I be preparing for those? Um, yeah. For those interactions. So I think that there has to be sort of a two prong approach to this. So there's your preparation and then there's the expectation that you set with the candidate. Okay. So your, your role as the interviewer is to review their resume, 
to highlight the, the key areas that you either want them to go into more detail or you have questions. Review the interview questions that you want to ask. And make sure that you set up enough time to, to do it appropriately. Because just as we're interviewing the candidates, the candidates are interviewing us. Yeah. So I'm sure when you've gone into an interview where it just seemed like they were winging it and they didn't prepare, you're already going in disengaged. Yeah. Like, this is a waste of my time. I came here. I took off from work. I did this. Yeah. And now this person is just pulling it together. That's not a great experience. Yeah. So my recommendation to anyone that is going to set up an interview is reach out to the candidate and set the expectation of what the interview process is going to look like. Give them the address. Tell them where to park. Give give them your phone number. Let them know how long it's going to be. Explain what the process is going to be and then what the timeline to to hiring. And sometimes we don't know, right? But we can say within the next three weeks, we're going to make a decision. In this candidate market, you want to get back to can- uh, candidates as quickly as possible because they're moving on. It's a candidate yeah. market right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. Like, again, you're bringing somebody onto the team. Like, you got to care. Like, just show – and any preparation, I mean, you can tell. You can tell if somebody has oh, not yeah. done anything. Like, when you're looking through and you're looking at this resume like it's the first time you've seen it, it's like, hey – Come on, like, at least read through this beforehand. Come on, like, what are we doing? Why am I here? Like you said, like, what am I doing here? I took off of my other job, the one that's paying me right now, to come to you, to leave my current situation for you, and you can't even look through, like, you can't prepare at all. Um, right. And so what kind of culture does that, what kind of, um, yeah, I mean, think about the view that that gives for the candidate that you're trying to bring on your, like, that's not positive, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like a good environment for the type of candidates that I'm sure you want to bring onto the team. The other piece that I failed to mention earlier is when you set up the interview expectation, you definitely want to make sure that you're talking about the salary range. I don't know how many times I've heard from candidates that have said, I really wish I would have known a, the hours, the the commitment, or the salary before coming in for the interview. Do you, is that something that is good to include on the, like the job description for? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I believe that you should have uh, a salary range on the job description and do, uh, and then reco- or talk about it in the phone screen. Because people are applying for multiple jobs. They're not going to remember from job to job. So making sure that yeah. you are raising that in the either the the phone screen and again in the in the interview prep. Are there are there instances where it is better to not include that in the description? Like I can kind of as I'm thinking I, I didn't think about that before you just brought that up, but like there are times where I feel like that could be I don't know about beneficial, but maybe like I don't know. I don't know. Like, are there times where it's good to not include it or preferred to not include that? Or yeah, I'm like trying to think through that. And (laughs) I, I feel like there should be instances where it's like, maybe not like maybe you, then you're just getting people that are looking at, but like, but also that, that is important. That's an important piece. Yeah. I think that salary is such a driver to uh, people's engagement. And if it, 
if I did not tell you and you came in for an interview and then I said to you, you're going to be making $10 less an hour. Yeah, well, hmm. I wonder if, yeah, <laughs> well, like there's this piece that's like maybe you get candidates that would actually be interested based on the job that's actually being done where they feel some, like it taps into something, um, like it feels like they're actually contributing or like they're getting a, like some sense of purpose out of the job where they're willing to take less, but they wouldn't have known that if they didn't talk to you. That feels like such a small use case though, or like such a small example that it's like, just tell people what they're well and you still you still want people to have the expectation going in that if they are going to be making less like that's a life adjustment yeah you have to look at your finances you have to look at uh what you are going to have coming in and and make that decision i i've absolutely i'm i know you and i have made moves that we knew that financially it would be a step back for us, but it would allow us to then grow exponentially yeah. later for, for us to move up. But that was a conscious choice that we've made. Yeah. Yeah. And I get, we did. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I think I'm convinced. I think, it, <laughs> oh, I, think I think, I think, Oh, good. <laughs> I'm sure I'll think of some way, but I, yeah, I, I feel like it, it, yeah, it's probably just best to just include it. And like you said, it's a range, like mm-hmm. unless there is only one option, so you're going to make this much, but it is nice as the candidate to know, hey, am I going to be, like you said, am I going to be making a massive adjustment? Like, do I need to be changing my com- everything about my life to take this job? Maybe I am interested. Like, maybe it does feel like this is what I want to do, but I need to know, oh, I've got to make all these adjustments. And that's I'm okay with that, but I know that going in and I'm not going to make all these arrangements to come to this interview and do all these things. And then you hit me three weeks later and say, Hey, we'd like to offer you the job. And this is what it's going to be. And I say, Oh shit, I just wasted a month and a half on this process. Um, and now I know I'm going to be making half of what I am already making. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that would have been good to know way beforehand. Cause it could have saved all of us the time. Okay. And, and actually from your perspective as the hiring agent or, um, employer, it's probably going to save you a lot of time in those cases where it's like somebody wasn't going to be interested based on the salary. Like there's, it doesn't matter what the circumstances, what the job you're offering, they weren't going to take that for the, uh, based on the money that you're offering. And now you've wasted your time that you needed to, you needed to spend that time actually hiring somebody and you, you wasted all of it because, uh, you didn't tell them beforehand. Okay, I'm convinced. Tell <laughs> tell the people. Tell your candidates. Transparency. Like, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Okay. So um, we are we're just about at an hour right now. So um, this is this is good. Okay. So you are interviewing. We've gone through some of like how to prepare, how to. Um, how to prepare for like developing your questions for during the interview. Um, how are you as the hiring person? 
are there anything, is there anything other than the answers? Like, should, what should I be paying attention to? Because I'm a mad, like, it feels like I would want to take notes during this, but I also feel like I want to be paying attention. Um, yeah, like, are there things, are there particular things that I should be paying attention for or um, particular things to, and this might be person to person, like, I like to take notes. I like to write. So I'm sure I would be more likely to do some of that stuff. But yeah, are there any, are there any, like anything I should be doing during the, as I'm interviewing somebody? So as the interviewer, obviously everybody has different preferences. So we want to make sure that we're um, focusing in on what's, what's best. But if you're interviewing multiple candidates, I think taking notes is critical. Yeah. And you want to be consistent in what you write. So this is where I'm going to put my uh, HR legal hat on for a second. Uh, okay. And um, whatever you do, you have to be consistent for every candidate that you meet. And uh, you want to make sure Even that- Even in like your note taking? Yes. Okay. That's good to know. So, in your, uh, so if you're using an interview guide and you're asking candidates to answer these questions, you're taking notes on their responses and then your thoughts on those responses- so you want to make sure that you're just focusing in on the facts. You should never write uh, personal opinions of how you feel about the person, mm-hmm. messy, you know, whatever it might be. Don't you you don't want to have anything that could be incriminating on the notes that that you that you take. Okay. Uh, and it should focus on uh, the answers to the questions. But the, some of the things that you should pay attention to are how are they presenting themselves? Are they making it more conversational? Are they engaging? Are they sharing relevant examples? There have been times that I've been in behavioral-based interviews where people never get to what actions they took and what results they had. They can talk about the situation. They can talk about the people that are involved, but they never get to what they owned and what they did. Yeah. So those are things that I'll write on their resume. Or I'll write on the, uh, not the resume, the the interview guide, is I'll write down answered parts of question, did not answer the question fully. Okay. Hmm. So our, man, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, like that's, that feels, that feels like a lot to, to keep track of during. So the suggestion is the way that they responded um, and you, there were two parts of it, the way that they responded and like, and their answers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I ask permission to take notes. Okay. So as you mentioned, it's difficult. There's so much to pay attention to. They're just as nervous. They're trying to put their best foot forward. Well, especially and you're if trying this to is my first it. time or, yes. or like my first string of interviews. It's like, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to miss some things, and that's, I might hire wrong here, but that's fine. Like, and I think it's okay to, to let people know and be very transparent about the fact that I want to let you know that you're going to be my first employee or potentially be my first employee. This is the first time that I'm going through this process myself. And I think that that puts candidates at ease. Yeah. And it's, oh, well, they're they're trying to figure this out too. Yeah. And, um, and then w- the way that I present it to candidates, especially when I'm taking notes is you're going to be sharing so much with me through this process. I want to ask permission that I can take some notes so that as I'm going through and I'm evaluating 
people's responses that I can go back and look at this. So as you're talking, I may not be making direct eye contact with you. I might be jotting down a few notes. And most people are, you know, will say, that's fine. Let's say you do that and they're not cool with that. How do you, how can you handle that? Like, eh, I'm not really, I don't know, which I don't know why you would not be, but maybe you have a reason for it. I've never experienced it, but (laughs) if it did happen to me, what I would say is, okay, I want to respect that. So in between each of the questions that I ask, I'm going to pause to take notes so that I, okay, there, you know, that could be awkward. Yeah. yeah, It will likely (laughs) be awkward. Yeah. It'll likely be awkward. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you mentioned, maybe we don't want to get into this, but I kind of do. Um, (laughs) You mentioned like some of those observations that are maybe not the best to actually write down, but all of those things kind of go into, like if you show up a certain way to an interview, can you be taking, like you want to remember those things because those are, those are important. I would, I think. I think I, they they are. So let me let me clarify. So if somebody you specifically tell someone to show up in in business professional, and they show up in shorts and flip flops, or if they show up where it looks like they just rolled out of bed, you can put on there did not meet um, uh, dre- uh, dress code requirements, or okay. you could say, you know, different parts of this. It's we ha- we already have such implicit and explicit bias in the way that we look at candidates. And we don't want to, A, we want to control that um, and make sure that we're assessing candidate on skill versus our yeah. own uh, our own bias or assumptions. But we also don't want to open ourselves up for uh, discrimination where yeah. uh, I had someone way back in the day that wrote down, looks like she's pregnant. That's a problem. That's definitely a problem. That feels like um, a problem. And if if it were to ever come up that this that that person felt discriminated against, you're you have to keep your your employee files and um, the the interview guide. And if if somebody saw that, that could be used in court. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you actually said this already, but um, writing down facts, not opinions. Yes. Where it's like you said, uh, arrived in flip-flops and a t-shirt. That's a fact. That's a fact. (laughs) No argument here. Yeah. Whatever the judgment is or whatever, however that relates, but the fact is arrived in flip-flops and a t-shirt. Yes. Um, Okay. I've had another one where... Looks looks like she's pregnant. I don't know if I would consider that a fact. Um, That that is absolutely not a fact (laughs) and uh, should not be documented anywhere (laughs) or ever even used in the hiring process. Yeah. Um, I've had people who, (laughs) uh, what is, what is appropriate is if you know that the candidate is coming in and they haven't prepared. So if you pose the question, I, you know, I've asked you to look at our website and I've asked you to do, to review a little bit about our business. And if somebody sits there and says, oh yeah, um, no, I didn't do that. You can say, did not come prepared to interview. Okay. And I've, and I've had that where you can send them all of the information ahead of time. You set the expectation. I'd like to hear your points of view and your perspective on what our business is and how we approach clients. And they come and they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. 
Um, okay. You're like, okay, this is over. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> Just well, kidding. Do you have a, um, if it is, cause I've heard, I've heard other people talk about like cutting it short. Like if it does not look like it's, um, if you can tell early, should you, should you fulfill the, like the length of the interview or maybe it's shorter than normal, but it's like shorter than normal. If the person did come into the interview, uh, you don't want to do a mic drop and leave the room. <laughs> you want to b- be respectful of their time, but I would definitely cut it shorter. So okay. when you have great candidates, you're going to ask more questions. You're going to engage those candidates more. Um, we want everyone to have the same experience. Okay. Okay. So are you going to spend an hour with them? Probably not. Maybe it's half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. But still kind of go through the same general, yes. same general process. Okay. But like you said, like if it's a bad conversation or a, yeah, I mean, if the questions are super vague and yeah, I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. if it's a bad interview or a bad conversation, you both of you are going to be aware of that, I would hope. I'm sure that there's other HR professionals out there that would disagree with me. But if you're looking at um, protecting yourself against discrimination or people coming back and saying that they weren't given a fair process, to me, it's just a best practice. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so we are... Is there anything else during the interview that that we haven't talked about that you, that you should be either paying attention to or um, be aware of? Anything that we have? I feel like we covered a lot there. So with the interview, so there is just a few things that I was um, that I've been thinking about. Is that we always want to engage candidates as they come in, like we do small talk, but we want to make sure that we're asking questions that aren't getting at sort of protected classes. Okay. So, oh, you know, tell me where you live or, you know, are you married? Do you have a family? All of those questions that we, that we want to avoid. We can ask the question, um, you know, tell me about, tell me about yourself and leave it broad, but you definitely want to be very. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Be very careful about that. That's why that's the question. Yes. Okay. And then that people share to their level so, of comfort. That makes so much sense. Because that I hate that question because it's like, I don't know. How the hell am I, like, tell me about yourself. I don't know. I've been around for almost 30 years. Like, there's a lot. There's a lot that I do. What do you want to know? Um, but you can't really ask that, those questions. So... I mean, you can tailor it, Brad, where you can say... Um, <laughs> that makes so much... That was just like... Okay. That makes so much sense. I always hated that. Like, right. hey, what are you getting? Like, just ask the question. What do you want to know? Okay. But I've tailored it to, you know, tell, tell me about your career background. Or, you know, tell me what what has led you to this point. So I'll ask questions like that rather than throwing the, the blanket question out where, yeah, yeah. Uh, and people roll their eyes and they're, they're it's like, what, what do, do you, I share? Uh, yeah, how, like, do you care about my personal? Like, what are you asking for? Yeah. Um. Okay. That makes so much sense. (laughs) Okay. And I think that people innocently go into it because they want to learn about the person. And let's face it, in in small business, small towns, people want to make those connections. In Pittsburgh, it's 
uh, not, you know, the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation. I think it's three here in Washington County. Yeah. And so people just genuinely want to know, but they don't recognize that it could potentially be yeah. a discriminatory question um, that we're asking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... I'm glad you brought that up. That's good. Um, okay. Okay, so we are interviewing. We've interviewed. We've got good candidates. Um, also, you didn't have any time you needed to be out of here, right? Nope. Okay, we are just over an hour, so um, I'm good to keep going if you are. Yep. Okay, so um, so we've got candidates. Um, we've got a few that we're deciding between before before we are interviewing, should I know, like we're, it's so hard to be a, like completely objective with anything, with anything, but is there a, I think you mentioned some type of rubric or something like that. Is there, is there a way that I should be scoring this so that I can, but, but feel kind of has to be part of that also. Would imagine. Yes. Um, so part of it is cultural. So are they um, are they personable? Do we feel that they're going to fit into the culture? What behaviors did they demonstrate through the interview? Are they articulate? Mm-hmm. Are they high energy? Are they passionate about something? Are they detail oriented? Are they super motivated to to achieve certain results? But then what we also go back to is looking at the the interview questions. And as I mentioned, there's the situation, the task, the action, and the result. And how well did they answer those questions? And if you have people who answer partially, you take points off. And then if you have people who are really, really strong next to each other, and that's an ideal situation for you to have multiple candidates that you're like, these people are awesome. Yeah. Then you really have to go in uh, and look at the cultural fit. Okay. Who is going to be the best fit for us right now? We still are going to engage both candidates and, you know, thank them for their time and maybe, you know, talk to them about opportunities down the line. But that's what you really want to look at. And so let's say you've got these two. um, Is there so like I know there have been times where I've had like second interviews or like that's relatively common. Is that something you should decide on beforehand or is that something that you can say like, okay, well I've got four candidates that I really think are going to be great. Um, Let's do a second round of interviews. And if so, well, should you have that decided beforehand? Should you have that process in place beforehand so that you know, okay, we we're in this situation. I know exactly how to handle this. Um, and how do you how do you tailor a second interview differently than the first one? Does that make sense? It does. I am a firm believer in being very upfront about what the full process is with the candidate uh, out of the gate. But sometimes when you do have multiple candidates that now rise up, you can say, we've had really great candidates come in, and now what we'd like to do is do a shorter second round of interviews, and we're going to focus in on maybe some other critical skills. I've had uh, clients that have then actually physically brought them into the business, taken them on a tour, have them meet individuals, or maybe uh, it's a like a case study where they mm-hmm. can solve a problem. I've actually, I think, I don't know where Jeff talked about it, but Jeff, I think he, I think he might have done like a 
a podcast or something about it. I'll try to find that if there was a podcast. But he, I think he mentioned one time actually bringing somebody in. Maybe this isn't a recommendation, but um, actually like 1099ing somebody for a day and bringing them in and like treating them kind of as an employee, bringing them along with you and like paying them for the day, but having them go through and seeing how they actually mesh with everybody. Um, I don't know if that's a good approach or not, but it feels like that could be, uh, and now you're obviously you're taking a day or a half day or whatever that is, but it seems like that could be a, a way to work through the, but maybe that, maybe not, maybe that isn't a great way to compare because then you're not comparing similar experiences. Um, I don't know what you're... So my thought would be to bring them in, um, have other people be a part of the interview process and then do a case study. Okay. And so maybe it's, a, you know, a common common challenge that the organization has and uh, they, they can submit their response or talk through it. Okay. I think 1099-ing them um, opens... The HR legal door again, okay. where that could that could potentially be problematic. Okay. Um, yeah, and I might that might not have been like a yeah. uh, determining thing. That might have been okay. We've decided to hire, but let's do this first. I, I think know. that's a great great way to bring in consultants or um, individuals who might be contractors. Mm -hmm. That you do bring them in and you sort of test them out. That's a that's a fantastic best practice. Yeah. Okay. Um, Okay, so you so for this second for the second round of interviews, try to be a little bit more specific and ta like tailor it more to the job um, with you know, yeah, I guess that's it. like mm -hmm. tailor it more to the job um, and then determine what's best at that point. Um, okay. That makes sense. Um, so, and we're, so we're making decisions. We are letting everybody know, hey, you didn't get the job um, and you did get the job. Um, that feels like a minor step, but is there anything to be aware of when, when you're offering the job or sent like letting a candidate know, okay, you, like you're the one. Again, it comes back to consistency. Okay. If, uh, again, if it's referrals, you want to call the person and you want to thank them for coming in and you want to let them know, uh, but you want to make sure that you're contacting every candidate. Cause we already talked about that yeah. is being ghosted does not feel good Yeah, and it just, uh, it goes against your brand, right? Yeah. Um, that you, whether we hire them or not, they're a person in our community that we still want to engage. Um, the offer I think is, I I'm clearly an extrovert. So for me, it's I want to call the person and I want to make the offer. I want to engage them, see if they have any questions, concerns, and then start to walk through the process. So are, are you available in two weeks? You know, what are the questions that you have? Um, and then set the stage for what happens between the offer and the start date. How quickly, like, should you have... Um maybe this is dependent on how much of a rush you're in, but like, is there a certain amount of time that you should allow for a decision? Cause uh, I mean, depending on the job, um, the change may be pretty large or it may not be, mm -hmm. but I feel like 
there should be some, you know, you should get a little wiggle room. Like, hey, make the decision in X amount of time. Is there something that works best or um, at least this amount of time? Or again, it might be, I'm sure all of these are like very situational, but um, there's got to be some type of at least guidelines or suggestions maybe. I would say two to three days. Okay. That feels that feels pretty reasonable on both ends. Yeah. Two to, two to three days. Or we, ha- I mean, there's times that I've made offers to candidates where they've said, you know, this is a significant change. I'd like a week to think about it. But they're, um, they're letting me know. Yeah. I check with the client. If the client's okay with it, we give them a week. Yeah. Well, and that flexibility is, um, I, unless you don't have that time. Uh, but I mean, will it suck if they get to the end and say, eh, you know, I'm not really interested. Sure. But, um, if you're not in the massive rush, like be a little flexible, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I've also had people who have asked for that time frame and then, um, declined. Yeah. I mean, that kind of sucks. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. So um, out of that candidate pool, do you have somebody who's potential backup and and have that conversation? So if I have candidates where there's two that there's obviously a number one and then there's a number two, I'll always go back to the client and say, do you want to extend an offer or do we open this back up again? And um, and making sure that we, we give them that option before... Hey. And you definitely shouldn't be doing that before the other has declined. Right. Okay. So if we have several candidates that were really strong, but we definitely had a a ranking of, you know, one through three, I would make the offer to one and see, see what they say. And then if they decline or they, they come back, then what I would do is I would go back to the client and say, do you want me to make an offer to number two? And that, even if they're not, um, even if it's not so like cut and dry, like let's say you have one A and one B, like super close, still the same practice, like yes, okay, yeah, that you feels, never make multiple <laughs> yeah, offers for to one candidates. job. Yeah, yeah, that feels that feels so dirty. awful and wrong. Yeah. yeah. So you make one offer, uh, and you you and you want to make sure that you get it in writing. And uh, either accept or decline, and then then you can move forward. Okay. Um, okay. And now we are bringing them on. I'm sure we could have. This could be another hour. It could. Um, we'll keep it kind of high level for now um, because I'm sure there's going to be – this is a – like I said, this could be – this whole – this whole process could be yeah, separate. Onboarding could be a completely separate one. Yeah. So we'll keep it like pretty vague for for this one. Um, how, I mean, sh- I should have everything I would imagine in a, maybe not a perfect world, in like most worlds. I should have an idea of what this, this, um, this onboarding is going to look like before I'm even hiring somebody. Is that? Yes. Okay. So knowing uh, what paperwork you need to have, uh, are you paying them as a 1099 or are you putting them on payroll? Do you have a payroll service? What's the steps in setting that up? That is, yeah, we didn't talk, we didn't cover Mm -mm. any of that. 
Damn. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. I tried to be thorough, but I missed some things. We'll get that on the next one. Um, okay. So let's leave some of that. We'll talk about actually like bringing them on and then we'll get into the, well, actually, you know what? This was on purpose. That's 201 that, or whatever. We'll call that 201. This is 101. We're covering the, the basics here. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. So we've got, um, they're going to start how should we be treating these first couple weeks? Because they are super important to the rest of the rest of the time that we've got with this employee. Um, yeah, like generally, how should we be how should we be introducing them to either the job, the team? Maybe it's not a team. Maybe I guess maybe now it is because there's at least two of us. But how should we be kind of treating some of those um, some of those situations? You want to prepare for um, creating a great positive experience. So being prepared on day one, making sure that you're setting aside enough time to properly onboard them, welcome them, orient them if they have their own office or their own space, setting up just the regular expectations, where to park, here's the kitchen, here, um, you know, here are all of the amenities that we have. I think people take for granted that when you work in that space, we want to welcome people in and really make sure that they understand all of the logistics. Yeah. If they get a key to the building, if they need an entry card, an ID, any of that type of yeah. needs to be thought about and prepared for for day one. Um, how is there a... Um... There's a lot there. There's a lot to, there's a lot to go through there. And I feel like it is difficult. Um, kind of like we've, we've said a couple times, like when you're the one that does this every day, you're in the office every day. It's difficult to see all that. Um, I almost imagine like bringing in a friend and like, Hey, um, what, what do people need to know about this? Yeah. Like, here's what we need to do. Tell me what your questions are. Obviously that, that might not be the best way, but it's a way. I mean, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not an expert in this, but, um, yeah, just figuring out like even the, I don't know, even the smallest details are like, like you said, like, where's the kitchen? Where's that? Like, do we have a refrigerator here? And some of those things might be helpful to know day one, like before they start. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you mentioned parking, some of those types of things. Like, hey, should you be prepared to bring your own lunch? Do we have do we have a place to store your lunch? No? Okay, well, you should know that. Like, I don't want you bringing whatever it is, and now I've got just room temperature fish sitting on the counter because we don't have a refrigerator for yeah. you or a microwave. Like, that's not ideal. Um, well, and how are you welcoming, welcoming in, I can't speak today, uh, but how do you bring them in and create that, um, that first day experience that says I made the right decision? Yeah. And it's different for everybody. There are some companies that uh, I've worked for directly where I showed up and I had a welcome basket and the welcome basket had like all of the geeky stuff that you need. I had post-it notes. I had my own stapler. I was like, oh, I have my own stapler. Yeah. Uh, I had uh, a cup of coffee or a coffee card. I had my desk was clean and ready for me to go. Because if you hand somebody over to a dirty desk, yeah. I, yeah, it sounds like something that's so small, but it says, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have other clients who say, you know, stuff I let them um, go to Staples or Target and they get to, they have, um, 
you know, a gift card where they get to pick out what they want for for their desk space. They make it uh, not mandatory, but they bring the team together or they have a welcome lunch. They also set the expectation that sometimes your first day, it's about filling out the paperwork. Yeah. It goes through all of the logistics. It gets you logged on your laptop if you have have one, your phone set up, whatever it might be. But it might be a shorter day because yeah. it's just logistics. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, so as you're going through, like, I imagine there are some approaches that are just like you throw them to the wolves and... I don't know, you figure it out or you kind of ease people into it. I'm sure this is very job specific. I've said it how many times, but like does and maybe, yeah, I'm sure it is actually, maybe that's not a great question, but is there a, a method that works best? Should you be easing people in or not? Or um, is it actually just super case by case? Like maybe there, there may not be a way to ease people in. If you, are going from just being one person to two people, it is baptism by fire. And you can, but set that expectation yeah. saying, you and I are going to figure this out together. Um, for the first few weeks, you're, you and I are going to be attached at the hip. You're going to go on client visits. You're going to walk through calls. You're going to do these different things and letting them know. And that's where I hand over a notebook and I say, take notes. And, and yeah. also open it up and say, I've been doing this. Maybe you see a different way of doing it and let's talk about it. Because sometimes, like I said before, we get too close to it. Yeah. And we don't recognize when we've developed ineffective or inefficient ways of doing things. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. That's That makes sense. Yeah, especially if you're just going from just me to now I've got somebody like I imagine any amount of preparation is still going to be not enough. Like you're going to have to be just figuring it out because you're going from doing everything to not everything. Um, and figuring out how to pull it apart to what makes sense to what do I still own and manage? And then what yeah. do I well, truly hand off and being very clear about setting what those expectations are so mm -hmm. that, there isn't like there's going to be you can minimize the gray areas because mm -hmm. I feel like that's where you can start to if those aren't set up properly, that's where you can start to notice a um, like your clients can start to notice some things. You know, you haven't um, you haven't made it super clear that new new hire is they're actually mm -hmm. just taking the lead on whatever like they're the ones that are. Um, they clean the counters, but they think like that hasn't been made super clear. And now the counters haven't been cleaned in a week. It's like, well, okay, well now the customers are noticing that we mm -hmm. don't have clear counters because I didn't make it super clear. You thought I was doing it. I thought you were doing it. Um, so just, I feel like the, the expectation setting is super important. Even if you're, yeah, even if you're just taking longer to introduce or not, or not giving them as much at the beginning, um, just making it very clear, like here is what for the next week, here's what my expectations are or for the next month or whatever, like just be clear, whatever, whatever the decision is, just be clear. So both of you are on the same page or, um, maybe it's not just the two of you now, but so the team is on the same page. Um, yeah. And you can even go back and review the job description on day one. 
Yeah, because be depending helpful. on how long the the interview process is, it just brings it front and center and it's saying like this is this is where we're starting. And these are the things and, and looking at, do we already have a routine? Let me walk you through the daily routine Yeah, and orienting them that way. Because unfortunately I, I do have clients that will say, Steph, we were super clear in the interview about what the job was. And then when they, they came in and we started to ask them day one, review the job description, set the expectations, as you said, and let them know that it will evolve over time. Yeah. What they're going to do their first week, their first month might be different. What they do from month two through five, six. Yeah. And then <clears throat> we continue to revisit that. Yeah. Well, and like as a like I know for my work, like my daily routine is so de- – like it is so dependent on the week, on the type of jobs that I'm doing at the time. So like if I'm bringing somebody on, I imagine like what seems like it would be helpful for me would be, okay, anytime I'm doing, like try to keep track of all the different things that you're doing. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is the first time I'm doing this with new employee here. Even if you're not going to be involved with this, you're going to like drop what you're doing for the day. You're, you're walking through this with me. Um, and I'm sure you can't do that all the time, but as much as possible, that seems like bring, bring them in because depending on the role, there may be, um, like the fresh perspective, it might be nice. It might be nice for whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, okay. Maybe that doesn't make sense, but it does. it does. Recently, I had um, <clears throat> a, a master's student who is getting their degree in organizational development and uh, human resources ask me if she could shadow me for a day. And I had to stop and think, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're sort of programmed to in, in our routine, but then to slow down and making it a meaningful experience for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, do I want her to come to my house and watch me work in my basement? No. Uh, do I – I have to think about the clients that would be open to that. I have to think about, well, how would I prep her? How would I engage her to make it meaningful yeah. and not just seem like I'm oh, – we'll just tag along for the day. Yeah. And so those are the things that when you are a small business owner, it it, it is time intensive to slow down to be able to go fast later. Yeah. Yeah. There's – yeah, that's a uh, – I've thought about – like I've, I've had people ask me that. Like, well, what do you do? It's like, well, Stuff. honestly, I don't know what I do all day. But I start with things to do and then I end with more things to do. And I feel like I'm doing things during the day, but I don't know what those things are Some most days. Like to have somebody shadow the whole time, like, well, you're going to watch me edit for eight hours? I don't think you're going to get anything out of this. Like, Right. Um, but that's what's on the agenda today. So, okay, yeah, bringing somebody on from from one to two, that is that feels like potentially the most difficult. I don't. I'm sure they're all difficult. Actually, I'm sure it's all difficult. But that feels like the biggest, the most difficult part. Like going from one em- or zero employee, other than me, to somebody working with me, that feels like the biggest hurdle. And then after that, like it probably just gets easier, 
maybe not because you're at that point you're dealing with the everybody's personalities and trying to make sure all that meshes and I'm sure episode two we'll dive into that but like (laughs) but yeah from just me to one more that feels like it's a big leap it's a very big leap because it's fundamentally changing the way that you run your business yeah and now you have another human that you're responsible for that you have to manage and lead yeah and has to live the brand and do the work the way that you hope they will yeah and so there there is it's a it's a lot but being able to admit what you know and what's working and being open to hearing really hard feedback is critical for you to grow as a business owner as an a, and a leader of people yeah um yeah there's a lot yeah that's the third God, podcast i know God, there, <laughs> this is gonna be this the this is going to be its own series i have a feeling because as like as you're talking it's like oh there's like there's so many questions i want to ask about this but <laughs> we're already at an hour and a half um okay let's um let's save okay i feel like we've covered the basics of hiring and bringing somebody we on. have i feel like we've covered uh, a good amount of intro to intro to hiring. Um, maybe missed some of the things, but we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, yeah, I feel like we covered a lot there. Anything else um, with onboarding, since that's the last thing that we talked about, is is there anything else with that that you should be aware of or preparing for um, that we didn't cover? Like, obviously, there's a lot that you should be preparing for that, like, more of the details, but anything high level that's um, really make sure that this is happening or this isn't happening in this first week or month or whatever. A lot of it has to do with the the legal side of it, which is the paperwork. Just make okay. sure that you have all of the uh, appropriate documents. Like, you have to do the I-9 document on the first day. Um, setting them up for payroll, uh, if that's the way that you're going to go, but just making sure every single bit of the new hire paperwork is done on day one. Otherwise, okay. it opens you up for tremendous risk. Okay. That is, that's good to know. Um, anything else? Anything else that comes to mind? I don't think so. I know there's a lot more, but that I feel like that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good overview. Um any closing thoughts, anything that along this, the way we've not covered or you want to make sure we cover, um, anything like that? I just think um, as you opened it up, Brad, with um, the perceptions of HR is HR should really be about the human side of this and the engagement and how we make people feel and set them up in an environment for success. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes it feels like HR is not that partner, but you, you have to be aware of the regulatory and compliance things that are, are critical to that success. So, yeah, it feels like there's a, there's a good, like, I don't know the experience that I've had in the CDC's roles, like the difference in HR experiences just from having somebody who, and maybe, maybe it's because of the fact that, like in this case, you're an outside person. So the, um, 
from the employee side, you're not directly employed by the people, like the boss, you know, mm -hmm. you are, but you're still an outside organization. And maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a piece of it. Maybe it's not, but I don't know. I feel like there's a, it, from the employee side, it just feels, um, it just feels like a much better experience because like I said, it feels like the organization does kind of actually care about you, but it also, the interaction is just way different. Um, it's not a, I mean, shit, we've had however many meetings at this point that are not like we've had our own meetings, but through work, it's like, well, monthly at least. Mm -hmm. And we've got these team things and, and it, it really, um, it allows everybody to kind of work together and make sure that everybody is, um, communicate, like how does everybody communicate and what are your preferred methods? And like, it sounds weird to, to mention that, but, I, but it's important. Mm -hmm. Like it's, in, well, maybe it's not super important, but when you do cover it, it makes a big difference. Like you can definitely not talk about those things and everybody will just figure it out or they won't and whatever. And they'll leave. Yeah. Um, but when you do have those conversations, it just feels like more of a, a team atmosphere and, um, yeah, it just feels better as the employee. Like it feels like we're all actually trying to work together, not like you're just jamming a bunch of pieces together and we haven't thought about it. It's cohesion. Yeah. Um, so rather than you all trying to figure it out and having sort of this longer learning curve, if you have somebody who's in human resources that understands how to build uh, culture. It shortens the learning curve. It minimizes the conflict, the frustration, and it gets to productive work yeah. much quicker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you can't pay for those services, I think you can still probably do all of those things. Yes. You just have to be very aware, like actually think about what you're doing. You mm -hmm. know, you're not, you don't have to hire somebody to do it. If you can, hire an expert because experts are experts, you know, <laughs> like that's what they do. But if you can't hire, that's fine too. Just pay attention. Like mm -hmm. hiring is important. Bringing people on is important. Obviously you know that, but, um, but it can be easily, it can just be, I need a body to fill this role when really that's probably not good long-term. It might be great short-term. Like, I for need maybe somebody. a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if you actually put some thought into it, you can start to create the the culture that you're looking for and really set your business up for continued growth and continued success, mm -hmm. not just short-term plugging holes because you're overwhelmed and you need to do it quickly. And maybe maybe you do have to make a quick hire and you're not prepared for it and it is plugging a hole but know that you can't continue to do that. And if you do, you can only plug so many holes and then the whole thing is just gonna, this is a terrible analogy, but <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Like you, you run can out only of fingers to plug the holes. Yeah. yeah yes. Yes. Um, you can only do that so many times. So if you got to plug a couple holes quickly at the beginning, that's okay. But just know that you need to go back in and, and develop those processes so that you can, um, you can create, yeah, you can, just make a better system to to get a, a better stream of of employees and make sure that everybody is actually working together well because uh, it is important. Like you can make a lot of 
positive impact on your business if you're if you decide to focus on those things. Um, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be an expert to do anything. You can at least put some thought into it, though, and yeah. and and do better than putting no thought into it. Yeah, use your network. Just ask questions because everybody yeah. has either positive experiences about the hiring process and interviewing and onboarding, and they've had negative. Yeah. And even just asking your network about those questions can help you build a checklist. Like, these are the things I'm not going to do. Yeah. These are the things that I'm going to focus on. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, there will be another several um, of these, some HR-focused. I also want to make sure that I uh, we talk about, like, your past and um, – just your challenges as the business owner. Um, but for now, uh, where can all of the humans of the earth find you? Where, where are you located? So I not in space, but in like <laughs> on the digital world. So I'm located out of Monongahela. Okay. So, but I do a lot of my work in, in Washington and Pittsburgh and actually extend into other States uh, virtually. And I have a new email address. Great. Which is Steph at nonprofitsidekick.com. I'm surprised that that URL is available. I know. That's kind of. It's a fantastic. Yeah. 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 I love it. I Yeah. I like that. Um, I have to okay. give credit to Wendy for that. I did not come up with that. Wendy did. Okay. Um, okay. So any, I'll have all of those links down below. Um, yeah, this was good. I think this was super helpful. Um, any any final words, anything? No, this was uh, really great to go through this with you, Brad. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, for sure. Um, until next time, um, be sure to share it. Please leave a review. That's super helpful. Um, share it, like it, depending on the platform you're watching or listening on. Share it with all your friends. Leave a review. Um, until next time, uh, thank you for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're consuming this. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners.